Welcome. This is the Living a Revenue Culture podcast series. Two or three times a year, we try and bring a little revenue science into the podcast series just to help uh, what you're learning have a, a scientific foundation to it. And the learnings you're going to get today are really best taught with some visuals. I tried to do the best job I can to uh, tell the visual story so that those of you who are listening to this rather than watching it on YouTube, you get the visual, you get the story in your mind. But if I don't do a good enough job for you and you want the actual visuals, you can either watch the podcast on YouTube or you can reach out to me, Rick McPartland, at therevenuegame.com and you can see my email uh, on the screen if you're watching. And if you're not watching, it's Rick, R-I-C-K dot McPartland, M-C, P like in Paul, A-R-T like in Tom, L-I-N at therevenuegame.com. So if you want the, the PowerPoint, well, we'll send you the PDFs. If you want the PDFs of the PowerPoint, send me an email and I'll make sure you get them or go watch it on YouTube. Uh, either way, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. This is the series on living a revenue culture. And I'm Rick McPartland. I'm the founder of The Revenue Game and the host for this podcast series. Uh, today, we're going to have a special day. Since we started this uh, podcast series in 2021, June, we've had a number of people ask us some, some questions about language and context. And so today, what we've decided to do is we're going to give you some of the revenue science context that allows people to live a revenue culture. So hang with me today, and you're going to get a, a little different approach. But I think you'll find it very valuable and interesting and something you'll want to come back to after seeing some of the other podcast series, just to make it clearer and more powerful for you. So where we'd like to start is just to ask the most basic of all questions, and that is, what is a revenue culture? Culture is one of those words that we all use, and we use it in different ways, and we don't always stop and think about what's the difference between the culture on the Little League team and the culture at the church and the culture at my college and a revenue culture. Well, let's start with the fact that a revenue culture is an organization that has responsibility for the people that work for them. They have to feed and educate and grow their, their careers and make sure their families are protected with healthcare and things like that. So revenue culture has a responsibility and not just to its employees. So when we talk about a revenue culture, we're gonna recognize that that culture is made up of the stockholders or owners of the company. It's made up of those leadership people who are responsible for creating uh, a revenue strategy. And if you've been around the revenue game for a while, you know what we mean by a strategy. And if not, you can find that on the website. Then there's the employees. The employees are the ones who do all the work. Uh, you know, when CEOs talk about, well, I want to scale or I want to be innovative or uh, I want to be operationally excellent. Well, who do you think does that? Not the CEOs. Uh, you know, hopefully they're supporting the employees and the business partners. So let's see, 
uh, owners, leaders, employees, business partners, and ideal buyers. Because when we talk about uh, a revenue culture, a revenue culture starts with a business purpose. And we'll talk about this in a few minutes. But that business purpose gets translated into a revenue strategy. The revenue strategy is how you create value that the organization then, and partners then transfer to ideal buyers who pay for it. And then, so ideal buyers are part of the strategy or part of the culture, as is the community. Because the community is where people get educated, where people get health and people get recreation and they get an opportunity to retire at the end of their careers. So when we talk about a revenue culture, it's ownership, it's senior leadership, it's employees, it's business partners, it's ideal buyers, and it's the community. All of them are part of the culture. And so when we talk about creating a revenue culture, we're saying that the revenue culture is going to maximize profits when it optimizes culture. So when those six entities, those six groups of human beings come together to work on transferring value to ideal buyers who are thrilled to pay because their world gets better with that purpose-driven value, then all of them win. It's not one of them winning. It's not just the, the shareholders or the investors or the senior leaderships winning. Everybody wins. That's what a revenue culture is. So a couple of other things we need to think about. We just separated the different kinds of culture. And a revenue culture is an organization that has a responsibility to support not only the, the humans in this, but the community as well. Uh, that's where taxes come from. And that's where you know, we, we pay to educate our people. So, but there's another part. There are short-term cultures and long-term cultures. In revenue science, we call a short-term culture uh, uh, a finite culture, and we describe it as a mercenary culture because it's only there to make as much money as it can, as quick as it can do it, and once it's made a bunch of money, it's happy to stop doing that and go do something else where it makes money. It's really not there for the long-term. So when we talk about a revenue culture and it's supporting all six of those groups, including the community, uh, we're really talking about something that's as Simon Sinek says, it's infinite. It's an infinite for-profit organization. It has that big purpose, and that big purpose creates value that the people in the culture transfer to the ideal buyers in the culture. And when these people are doing this, both transferring and receiving the value, that's fulfilling them personally. They're, they're glad to come to work. They're having fun. They're, they're doing something important. They're making a, a meaningful contribution. So when we talk about a, a revenue culture, it's infinite, it's for-profit, has a big purpose, it transfers value to ideal buyers, and the players, the humans, are, are being fulfilled by being part of that process. Now, you know, it's easy for me to say these things, and I can make it sound simple, but it really is simple. Often, the reason doing a revenue culture is so hard is because we make it hard. You know, we don't think about what's really important 
and we get all these extraneous things. In, in revenue science, we call this chaos. We get all this chaos running around. So I'm gonna make this simple for us. You know, what you'll find is there are gonna be four steps that we have to follow. We gotta create a revenue strategy. We gotta have a true north. We're gonna do a bell curve 2.0 and a revenue roadmap. And if we do that, so the ideal buyers are getting value, we are going to be living a revenue culture. That's it, four things, four things. So let's, let's start, take a look at that. The first one is, I said it before, a big purpose, and big purpose means we're gonna make money and we're gonna make a lot of money, but we're gonna make a lot of money because we're making the world better. We believe that we make money with our ideal buyers, not from them. So we're gonna help them, the ideal buyers, be so much better off that they're happy to pay us and they actually pay us a premium because they wanna make sure we're there. We're there next week, next month, next year, for the next decade and beyond because we're making their world better. And so that, that big purpose is the foundation for a revenue strategy. And if you've been around revenue science for a while, you know a revenue strategy is answering five questions. The first one is, what's your brand promise? What does your brand promise the community? What does your brand promise every customer, every employee, everybody that's really part of your culture? And that brand promise is sometimes really close to or almost identical to your big purpose. And it's what you promise those people who are gonna engage with you is that brand promise. Second thing is, what's the problem you solve for your ideal buyer that nobody else solves? The third question is, now that you know what your promise is, now that you know the problem you solve, what is the niche or niches you're gonna dominate by solving that problem for ideal buyers? The fourth question is, how do you define that ideal buyer? How do you know them when you see them? And the final question is, what uh, is the compelling offer or offers that you make to those ideal buyers in that niche by solving that problem and fulfilling that promise? That's it. That's the strategy. So the first step is you got to get good at answering those five questions because those five questions then make everything else come together. The second one is now you've answered those five questions. So now how do you get your culture to understand what implementing those, deploying those, executing those five questions really means? I mean, language is, is sometimes confusing. So how do we make this very simple? Well, revenue science says it's a thing called a true north. And a true north is basically where we know where we're going. And, you know, we've defined this is the answer to our five questions. We're going to solve a unique problem. We're going to make this promise. We understand the niches we're in. So what we need to do is tell the people in our culture there are a series of behaviors that are above the horizon line and a series that are below the horizon line. When we go above the horizon line, we are always, every decision, every action, everything we do above the line 
adds value to that ideal buyer and margin to ourselves. Now, examples of things above the line could be we always partner. We are never negotiating win-lose. We always make money with our ideal buyer, not from them. Those are three just simple examples. So your culture, those humans that work for you, when they're fulfilling the transfer, their, their personal lives by transferring value, they're doing those three things that they should, I hope they all embrace, because those are, those are uh, ethics or those are principles that we live by. Likewise, when somebody does something below the horizon line, that could be like win-lose negotiation. That could be pitching them because I need commission. I need to close this deal so I get paid. Uh, there's a lot of things. It could also be uh, where I'm willing to leave certain facts out. I'm not really partnering with them. I'm really approaching this as a vendor, and it's let the buyer beware. So every company, once they have their strategy, once they've answered the five questions, the next thing they get to do is they get to decide what are the behaviors, what are the decisions, what are the conversations that are above the line, that add value to the customer and margin to us, and which are below the line, subtract value from the customer and subtract margin from us, and make a simple list. It's, it's that basic, it's that easy. Now just imagine from a culture standpoint, you're trying to hire somebody and if you could explain to them, here are the five answers to our strategy, this is who we are, and then you show them a true north and say, this is how we live that. If you always are doing things above the line, you don't have to worry. You know you're doing the right thing. And if somebody asks you to do something below the line, that's when you get to say no, because you know it's not good for them or it's not good for you. And when something's not good for either one of you, you always say no. So this true north is how you start to make that culture real. And you start to make people who may be potential employees go, that's where I want to work. That's how I want to live. That's how I want to get up in the morning and say, I'm glad to be going to work. All right. So now we've looked at strategy. You got a pretty good idea what a true north is, and you can create one uh, blank piece of paper with a pencil and draw a line across it. And you can do it in the next 20 minutes. So now the next thing we got to do is uh, bell curve 2.0. What the heck is bell curve 2.0? Well, we're going to make that pretty clear. It's a bell curve. Imagine that. And in its simplest sense, what it tells us is, and this is 60 some years of research. It's been researched thousands of times and every single solitary uh, product, service, industry, market, uh, company group, employee group, all fall across this bell curve. All of them are in a situation where if they're on the left-hand side, you'll see that's a proactive partnering uh, track. Uh, those down here on the left, the, this small section, those are where innovators and early adopters live. The next one is, these are mid-market people, and we'll talk about consulting and solution and distribution and so on. But what it tells us is, this is about 16% of the market, 
And at the other end, these are those people who are, um, you know, the laggards. They're the ones who really don't want to change. They like everything kind of the way it is. And then this is late mass market, and this is mid-mass market. Well, all the research out there tells us really simply, very clearly, tells everybody on our team that not every buyer is the same. The early adopters and innovators and the laggards are very different people. And the way you do business with them is different. The way they contract with you, what they're willing to pay you for is different. The salesperson or the marketing product uh, programs that reach a laggard are different than those that reach the early adapters. And then the real key is people over here, the laggards, they buy stuff based on price. And your stuff only has to be good enough and your price low enough, and they're willing to do business with you. Now, there might be 10 people they're willing to do business with, so you're gonna win one out of 10, but at least you know the rules. Over here, laggards and early adopters, they're not buying your stuff, they're buying your brain. And they're going to pay you for your brain. They're not paying you for your stuff. They don't care how you do it. But if you can solve these problems that they haven't been able to figure out yet, and you make their world better, they're willing to pay you for a better world. So everything else is someplace between brain and stuff. And you can just imagine what the progression is. New products start here. They die over there. Might take 10 years, might take two years. But that's the, that's the progression across the curve. So what's the bell curve 2.0 mean to your culture? It means that once you decide whether you're in the business of selling brain or stuff, you now know who to hire, you know who to call on, you know who to have as a partner, because the, the research says you want people who are as close to you as you can possibly get. If you're on the left side of the curve and you sell brain, the people on the right side are almost never going to be your customers. And if they are, you'll probably be sorry you got them. And if you do get them, you won't make any money. You'll almost have to fund it out of your profits from the people who are on the left side who are near where you want to be, where you are, where your essence is. So Bell Curve 2.0, that helps us figure out exactly who we want to deal with who we want to say no to, just like in the last slide on the, uh, on the True North. As a matter of fact, one of the things on the True North above the line would be, are these people in the right place on the bell curve? And below the line would be, these people aren't in the right place on the bell curve. You just know how to say no. And it's so much more comfortable to be an employee where you know a good client from a bad client and you know you're empowered to say no to the bad ones. And that gives you time to really invest in the good ones for their benefit and yours. Okay, so we've got our five question strategy. We've got our true north down. Now we know which people we wanna spend our time with. Are they close to us on the bell curve? Do they wanna buy our brain? Or do they wanna buy stuff? Do they wanna pay for the brain? Do they wanna pay for stuff? So we can apply the bell curve to our employees, our customers, our partners, uh, our bank, all kinds of things. So what's left? So the fourth step is a revenue roadmap. So what we're saying is, 
when we hire people, we can be very clear about their job because our job is helping our customers start down here. That O stands for offer. Remember of the five revenue strategy questions, the fifth one was about compelling offers. So this is about the offer traveling along the steps of the revenue roadmap. And so our employees typically work in one of these areas and they get to help our buyers trans translate themselves across that roadmap. Now, we also give our employees, our, our, our culture, a way to measure how well we're doing that's not subjective. It's not some supervisor's opinion. This is based on how well we, and this is capital W-E, all of us are working to move people from here to here. And the way we measure is flow. Because just think for a minute, if I am moving an offer from the stage where they're investigating us and they go, oh my gosh, you guys are cool. And you're solving the kinds of problems I need solved. And oh, we're having a conversation about how we can do that together and we're figuring it out. Now we can contract, you're gonna deliver and I'm gonna be one happy client. Now, the flow is really a result of three things. Volume, how many go through the roadmap. Velocity, how fast do they go. And value, how much does that client pay us for that offer? Now, in the revenue culture, we know that the value really drives the volume and velocity. So we know that if we do a better and better job of transferring that value that comes from that purpose and is delivered through our strategy to those ideal buyers, the more value, the more volume and the more velocity. So now we understand how we as an organization actually function. And that really brings us back to how important those ideal buyers are. Now, the culture, in addition to providing that value to the ideal buyer, has a responsibility to continually improve how we do this and continually redefine our ideal buyers. Because those buyers are going to go across those bell curves just like everything else. So what's an ideal buyer today might not be in a year or two years or three years. So our culture is responsible in order to keep transferring maximum value and actually to continue to uh, fulfill themselves. They've got to keep looking for who is that ideal buyer and what's the the best possible way for me to find them and transfer that value that they're passionate about so that they pay us so that you know I, I can get continually educated in my career and uh, I have a chance for uh, bonuses and other things so that I can afford to take care of my family. So that's what a revenue culture is about. It starts with a strategy. It starts with a purpose-driven strategy that transfers value to ideal buyers by people who are personally 
uh, fulfilled by transferring that value. And the revenue game gives you some, some tools, the strategy, how to create one, the true north, the bell curve, and the roadmap to just make it so simple for the people that work for you to know what to do next. So when we talk about living a revenue culture, that's why you get the maximum profit when you have the optimum culture. Those two things go together. They're not separate. And good leaders are what tie all the pieces together. So hopefully you're gonna join us for more podcasts in the future. Uh, and if you've got more questions, please keep passing them back to us and maybe we'll do another one of these uh, in another six months or so that answers some more questions for you. So thank you for being here today. Appreciate it.